Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. As an industry, historically, it's all about how do we optimize that customer experience and guest experience. I think we've recognized now that labor is our largest line item on the budget sheet. And if we can't retain our staff, it's difficult to run a profitable operation, as well as meet the expectations of customers when they're walking in store. So it even, I think, begs to argue and further, it's like, then how do we get even smarter about understanding what frontline employees want and need to feel more engaged and supported at work to really drive kind of that employer brand of choice in the marketplace? This is Jordan Eckert, co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital communications platform that improves workforce productivity for organizations with frontline employees. In this conversation, Jordan gives deep insights into what they have learned working with tech that amplifies employees' engagement and performance for almost eight years. We have this conversation as we are coming out of the pandemic. Frontline-driven organizations have forever changed, and they are now faced with huge challenges like the need for agility, increasing costs, and labor shortages, as well as engagement in the frontline. And Jordan shares some of the biggest changes they have seen that's happened to the frontline workforce over the last two years. And how this is impacting the way leaders think and do leadership and how they're now using tech to ensure better engagement across the whole organization. We take a deep dive into what keeps leaders up at night and what the best of the best are doing to build organizations people love and support. Jordan also gives some of his leadership and entrepreneurial hacks, and I can promise you there is some golden nuggets to pick up here. Before you tune in, please sign up for a weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. If you're looking for inspiration on how to use tech to do the heavy lifting as you build a strong culture, this is your episode. Enjoy. Today, we will talk about something I've always been, you know, very interested in knowing as a, a leader, manager in the different roles I had on different levels from, you know, a shift manager up to I was like the director. How can I actually have better influence and actually connect better with my people? And uh, I started really thinking about that when I became a director. How do I actually influence these people? Because, you know, I had 23 you know, restaurants I needed to visit, but I couldn't really see them all and I could connect with them at the same time. And that's like we're going to be talking about today, a, a smarter way 
through technology, uh, but also we're going to talk a bit about what's happening in the in the life of the the frontline employee. Uh, since you know we are on the we say let's let's pray on the other side of the pandemic. And for that, I have a great guest for you today. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thank you so much, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here with you today, and uh, hope you're having a wonderful day so far. Oh yeah, it's been an absolutely great day. It's evening here, and I know I I don't I'm not hundred percent sure on the timeline. You, I guess you're in Canada, so you're in midday or something. We're about four p.m. mostly through the workday, and uh, starting to see the the sky get a little bit darker over here. Oh, okay, okay, good, good. So, so Jordan, we we connected uh, before, and we had a really, really interesting conversation, really on around you know understanding and actually you know engaging with the frontline employees, and that's in principle what you do. You you make sure that happens in the best possible way through technology. But I'll let you tell you a bit about that. It would be really great for people, you know, just to understand a bit about your background and what is Notch. And what is you all about? So if you can give us a bit of like an overview and uh, then we'll take it on for there. Perfect. Um, so to kind of start off, I really started my career in retail and hospitality as a frontline employee once upon a time, 15, 20 years ago. And um, I was responsible for interacting with guests and with customers when they walk through the front door of a property or a retail location. Um, and at the time, it was really instilled to me that my role was to delight customers and guests, to guide them through the journey, to convince them to buy different products or promotions. And for me, one of the things that I learned very quickly is that I learned from my peers and from my managers. Um, but the reality is, in retail and hospitality, you don't always have exceptional managers in place. And so sometimes you're missing that opportunity to learn. And so fast forward uh, about 10 years, um, I was part of a company that was acquired by one of the largest loyalty programs in North America, where we were designing loyalty incentives to incentivize consumers to go into retail stores to buy particular products. And it was when I was on that operating side of the business, I really kind of empathized with the other side of the problem, which was you're an operator, to your point, um, trying to interact with 23 different restaurants there's no easy way to inspire and empower a mass of human beings across multiple different locations um, to provide them the information they need or to coach them around things that we're trying to drive forward. So fast forward, um, started a company called Nudge eight years ago, which is transforming the way that brands communicate, engage, and improve the performance of frontline employees through a smartphone mobile app. And it really, our vision is um, we believe that frontline employees, deskless employees deserve the tools that they need to be able to delight guests when they walk through your property or into your restaurant, into your retail location. And a vast majority of the solutions that are on the market were never designed for that frontline employee. And so that was kind of the opportunity that um, we went after. And it's our vision to just support the millions of frontline employees that bring brand experiences to life every single day. And, uh, and what is it that makes you so unique? And you already touched a bit about it because you said there's not many tools for the frontline employees. They often build, you're absolutely right, the legacy systems and many other communication system or planning system often build for you know people that sits down if it's not scheduling systems, which is the only thing I can think about that's built for, for frontline employees specifically. Yeah, it's a great question. So... I'll go after it a few different ways. So the first is 
This is kind of a fascinating stat. Only about 1% of venture capital funding over the last 10 years has been deployed towards building solutions for frontline employees. So the reality is a vast majority of the solutions on the market were never designed for the frontline employee. They were always designed for either the manager or individual sitting behind a desk. So that was really a gap in the market. Um, and I think in terms of what makes Nudge unique is we tried to build a platform that was not designed for a brand to buy. It was designed to help the frontline employees. So everything we built into Nudge, the utility um, from how we help manage tasks to recognizing peers, it was always built with the lens of how do we simplify the daily lives of frontline employees? How do we make their employment more rewarding? How do we connect them with their peers? And as a result, um, Nudge is currently the most highly rated communication platform in our category as ranked by frontline associates in the app store. And so we've always, um, I think, been driven by building a solution that frontline employees want to use and love to use versus building a platform that organizations want to buy and then push down to their workforce. And it's our perspective that if you can truly engage people in a solution that they want to use, then you can drive all kinds of value for the organization because you can start to nudge them or influence them or encourage them to do different things that drives that brand experience to life. So there's a lot of innovation, I think, happening in this market. I think that the world, especially through COVID, has um, come to realize that 80% of the global's workforce is considered to be deskless. And these individuals have been fundamentally left behind in terms of the solutions provided to them. And so there's quite a lot of innovation happening in the market around that. And it's quite interesting from, from sitting where I sit and, you know, I, I'm very lucky positioned to talk a lot of, a lot of people around, you know, the hospitality industry and what I've seen, my, my view and my analysis is that still even, you know, going through a pandemic, we have invested huge amount of money in the customer facing technologies but i would really say the things that really make you know work work and actually make the customer experience work you know the uh, the systems in operation communication whatever it is planning the things the tools the employees needs to do to make work work has not really seen such a push forward as the the sales or the marketing or i don't know if you agree with that observation yeah i've been kind of touting this um this theme for probably the last five years, which is the experience gap. And what I mean by that statement is, I think brands have invested really heavily in transforming the way they interact with customers and with guests through loyalty programs, through um, a variety of different digital solutions that allow consumers to engage with a brand in a more convenient way. Yet such little investment has been placed towards the employees to be able to execute on that innovation. So as an example, a QSR brand we all know and care for, Starbucks, uh, had rolled out their mobile pay at one point in time. And so that was an incredible investment that, as a consumer, I had the opportunity to take advantage of. But the actual execution of that in-store, the associates were not trained or provided the digital tools to change the operations around how the actual cafe was going to function to execute against mobile pay. And so I think it's a perfect example of like, you can digitize the consumer experience as much as you want, but unless you find ways to make work happen more efficiently and in a more enjoyable way, 
your employees are going to be left behind. And so I always kind of talked about it as this, this delta between the consumer expectations that have been created through innovations in the customer experience and how employees have been left behind. So I think the world is like starting to turn on that, which is great. Um, but I could not agree with you more on the statement. Uh, it was really interesting when you also talked about before, like we, you said that the, the employees you built this app from the bottom up in principle, you went out to the front line and you start to build a solution that makes the life easier. How is that met when you go in? Because traditional in hospitality, we have been very uh, top down Christmas tree leadership, as I call it. We are command and control. The answer is in the top of the organization. We know what the standard and the procedures are, and we're communicating them down and we train you in how to be. How has that been received in the early days of your journey? And I guess also now, because I don't think we have shifted much in the leadership model in hospitality yet. It's a great question. I think for me, results always speak volume. So if the command and control strategy was the belief of how hospitality brands need to empower and motivate their employees to execute, that's absolutely a philosophy that's been in place for quite some time. For us, and I'm sure you can speak to this, um, in the world where you were kind of responsible for managing 23 different restaurants, it's kind of always our belief that you will always have your top performers. You'll have your top performing managers, you'll have your top performing locations. And those individuals do things distinctively well. And to your earlier comment, um, as a, a GM or a director of a, a region, the only way to learn what your top performers are doing is to travel to those locations and observe and ask them what their best practices are. And so a big piece of how we built Nudge was to establish this really powerful employee feedback loop that allowed an organization very simply through a mobile application, the ability to now source feedback directly from the front line. So if you're rolling out a new menu item and you want to understand the best way to position that to a guest to increase their likelihood to purchase, if we can capture the best practices from your top performers, share those back to the operational leaders, it was our belief that we could then start to scale the behaviors of your top performers. And it's kind of flipped upside down this command and control approach where uh, if I come full circle to my first comment around results speak for themselves. So when we deploy a program or absent of nudge, if you can actually demonstrate that when you capture feedback from the front line from your top performers, and you deploy those behaviors at scale, if that delivers and yields a better result than just the command and control approach, hey, we've got the playbook at headquarters, then I think you start to change minds in the way that organizations start to function. So I think for me, like at the end of the day, like the more that we can learn from those that actually bring brand experiences to life, the stronger and smarter organizations are going to be in the strategies that they want to scale and the ones that they do not want to scale. Yeah, and it's really interesting what you say there because I actually believe even in you know big, very top-down driven organization, you will have fractions where there's greatness, as I call it, with exactly doing this kind of thing. They are actually learning from each other or their peers within a cluster. And they don't operate like the rest of the company because nobody comes and say, you can't do that because the results speaks for themselves, as you said. I think it's also just having humility at the the top of the organization chart. Like I think it's 
being self-aware enough to recognize that what you come up with within the four walls of your headquarters might not always be the plan that lands on the front line. And so I think best-in-class brands that establish a feedback loop to learn from their top performers are truly the ones that are going to meet the expectations of guests and deliver better P&L performance. And I would just say that that's like a stance that we've both proven at Nudge, but also a philosophy that um, I would live and breathe on as an operator. Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, one of the things I believe, and I know you as a company also believe, is actually technology can help company actually achieve this agility they're looking for and actually get people more engaged in the business if they just let them get the information they need to make better decision because people, you know, really want to do, in principle, a good job. And that's always the case of somebody that don't, but the majority of people don't get up in the morning and think, I'm going to do a shit job today. <laughs> Yeah, I think like if you look at any employee engagement research study that's been done for any brand over the last 10 to 15 years, effective communication, opportunity to provide feedback, being recognized for the work that I do and the relationship with my manager are the three largest drivers of likelihood to stay with a brand. The fifth, which has been introduced over the last three years, is does my brand provide me the right digital tools that's going to allow me to get more work done with less effort. And so I think you're starting to see a transformation in terms of how brands support their frontline employees. And I think also in this labor market that we live in right now, there's a massive transformation around how brands are building their brand in the marketplace, how they are attracting associates, retaining associates, and ultimately like rowing their associates over time. And so if those are the four largest drivers of you're likely to stay with a brand, I think like the call to action has arrived that you need to now change the way you support your people versus that command and control approach. Yeah. And I guess also suddenly employer brand is not a nice to do exactly on the strategic agenda of the CEO right now as technology, those people and tech drives a lot of the change right now in many businesses across industries, not only in hospitality and frontline employees, that's really the major focus for many CEOs right now. Yeah, we just released uh, a deskless report not long ago where we surveyed uh, about 850 frontline associates across multiple different um, industries, as well as up to 300 uh, organizational leaders of deskless organizations and the number one priority right now in the business across all of our customers in the industry right now is how do you attract, retain, and grow your talent? And 68% of the leaders of the organizations that we surveyed have all now prioritized in one of the top three priorities investments in the employee experience. So coming back to your other comment around as an industry, historically, it's all about how do we optimize that customer experience and guest, guest experience? I think we've recognized now that labor is our largest line item on the budget sheet. And if we can't retain our staff, it's difficult to run a profitable operation as well as meet the expectations of customers when they're walking in store. So it even, I think, begs to argue and further, it's like, then how do we get even smarter about understanding what frontline employees want and need to feel more engaged and supported at work? to really drive kind of that employer brand of choice in the marketplace. Yeah, and uh, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the desk report because I wanted to talk a bit about the, uh, more about that. So 
what was the you know your purpose behind doing that and actually you know going out surveying all these people besides really interesting information for you guys when you're building but was there like any any bigger vision with this is this something you're going to continue doing and yeah so it will become an annual report as you noted for us we've always tried to build a product um, and co-create it with associates on the front line so the more we can learn about the challenges they're facing uh, allows us to become smarter about the platform we build so that was kind of like a selfish reason for the report but i think more importantly it was meant to be a call to action to the industry like i think there's a very distinct narrative that comes out of the research that we completed with a third party research partner and it was the disconnect between how well brands perceive their support for the frontline versus the support that frontline employees truly felt and so there is a massive disconnect across a multitude of topics everything from how well brands believe they communicate and train frontline associates versus um, the lack of training and communication that associates receive to uh, even coming back to your other comment there was a stat that came through it was around 70 percent of organizational leaders rely on feedback from the frontline to make better decisions yet only 25 percent of frontline employees are asked to provide feedback and that's at your like top performing organization so for me it was meant to be a call to action not necessarily to bring awareness exclusively to this disconnect, but I think also to inspire the industry to think differently. Like individuals on the front line are not simply part of a transactional moment for your brand or for your retail organization. Like they're human beings that are your brand advocates. And if you can turn them into believers of your brand who are passionate advocates, they are your strongest marketing vehicle because they are going to delight consumers. They are going to persuade consumers to spend more money. They're going to drive long-term loyalty with your consumers. And so for me, and I, I say this often in many of the conferences I go to, it's like enough is enough. And what I mean by that statement is like, it's time that we have the right self-awareness as an operational leader to recognize that the way that we used to run our business across multi-unit franchise operations or retail establishments does not work anymore. And your people um, deserve better. They deserve different kinds kinds of support. And thankfully, this industry for solutions for the frontline employees um, has really started to take off. And I think COVID has really been an accelerant for that. There's one thing you as you were talking, I was thinking about also one of the things that's really been missing in my view. Uh, I spent uh, a long time at McDonald's, and one of the things we had, and I think why we got our people strategies working most of the time is we had data you know we had feedback from the front line and the franchisees and all the layers we could actually inform our people in this uh, strategies and actually implement the things they needed the most to do a better job on the people strategy or op strategy or customer service strategy wherever it was where the gaps were uh, is that also something you've seen when when you're starting working with clients and you know you're implementing not suddenly there's so many feedback and touch points and data touch points they didn't have before. And suddenly they have a more realistic, clearer picture of what reality looks like and you can do something about it. It's a great point. So I think like historically you would have relied on transactional data to see how much we were selling. You were relying on attitudinal data from customers around how satisfied they were in their experience. You're looking at compliance data around whether or not um, things were being executed on the way they needed to. 
but there was never really a data set that represented how engaged and capable your team was and how that related to the outcomes that the business actually cared about. And so um, the fortunate thing with kind of our vision was not only do we build a platform that people use every day and get utility out of, and it helps improve the way in which they execute, it helps brands capture all of this powerful data. So I can now tell an organization who's engaged and disengaged and how likely they are to leave a business. I can tell an organization how confident a handful of locations are in executing on a new promotion. And so this people data set, which we call a behavioral data set, becomes a leading indicator. So rather than launching a promotion and measuring, did we sell, did we hit target, where didn't we hit target? And how do we learn to become better for the next time? We can now tell you in advance of that promotion being done, are your people actually ready to execute? Do they have the knowledge at hand that they need? Are they inspired by what your brand's trying to achieve? And so I think it's like profoundly impactful because organizations now have a radar to understand where things are going to work and where they're not going to work before things actually even roll out because you can start to understand how your people are actually going to execute. So um, it's a whole data set that was missing. It's like, how do your people drive results versus what were the results? Yeah, and it's well known from, you know, theory back, I think it was in the 17th that they started working on the service profit chain in Howard, where there's talk about, you know, you know, get get your people practices and strategy right and build the right culture, you have great customer service, you know, great customer service, sales comes, loyalty comes, and thereby profit, and thereby all stakeholders wins in the, the service profit chain. And, and it's still a challenge for many actually to have that data set because they talked about data, look at data at that point already back in the, the 80s, 70s when they came up with this. Um, one of the things I was thinking about, what do you think like from an adaption curve? Because we talked a bit about that's been invested a lot in, you know, customer facing technology. But what is the adaption curve in, in general, you think, when it comes to the internal factors? Yeah, I think um, if you had asked me that four years ago, I said we were very early in the like industry adoption curve of solutions for frontline employees. But the last two years have dramatically increased the pace at which our category is forming and the pace at which organizations are looking for solutions for their frontline employees. So I think that we're still at a like early maturity part of the adoption. Um, I think a lot of organizations are purchasing platforms for different reasons. So there's task management solutions and there's recognition platforms. And really at Nudge, it was our vision to build one platform that digitizes all of the work that happens on the front line so that they can go to one source of truth and have all the tools that they need. So it's really exciting. Like we launched our business nearly eight years ago. I would say that we were an early pioneer of solutions for frontline employees. And I think over the last two years, uh, we've seen a really strong acceleration of this. I would say the market demand for solutions to support people. And coming back to one of your comments there around the service profit chain, service profit chain, it's not only the data, but it's having the methodology to measure the impact. So when we talk to an organization, um, obviously there's a whole bunch of rich data we can provide back to brands but you need to have the methodology to build the business case. And so whenever we deploy a program, and I know you did some great work at McDonald's with this, we always tried to be very intentional with 
holding a control group back so that that organization can evaluate of the KPI we wanted to move the needle on, did we see incremental positive change versus a control group that was not utilizing our platform? And so we felt like we needed to actually lead with a story that was grounded in the ROI we can deliver with a methodology that you can defend and then obviously a platform that people would love to use. So I think it's the combination of those three that turn the heads of a COO or a CFO in terms of the actual impact that can be delivered. Yeah, because then it suddenly becomes very interesting. You are measuring as well on behaviors to deliver the business strategy because there's one thing making a strategy. If you're smart, you know, senior executive, you also know that you need to then change behaviors in the organization often. And, you know, you really, and that's where you go down and touch on the people practices of the people strategy. So what has been like, in your view, all the data, you know, your report, looking into the front line, workers, the deskless workers, uh, jobs in the last two years, what is like the big changes? Because it's been a rough time for these people. Yeah, I think uh, there's a couple of things. I think um, competitive compensation has become table stakes. So I think that compensation across the board for frontline employees has um, risen, thankfully. But at the same time, compensation is table stakes. So I think what that means is that brands have had to find different ways to attract and retain associates outside of compensation. The other one of the other big learnings that came from the report that we had done um, was the, I think the prioritization of a sense of belonging. And so in this industry, I think one of the, the terms that I use is like, it's been the humanization of hospitality and retail. And what I mean by that statement is I think brands have discovered and acknowledged that they need to build more human relationships with their people above and beyond simply paying them to do their job. And so in the research that we did, the second highest driver of likelihood to be engaged in your role was a sense of purpose and belonging in the overarching brand that you work for, as well as the peers that you work with. And so for us, like as a software company, our whole vision around that piece of it was how do we make a very large organization feel small by being the connective tissue that actually allows individuals to meet each other if you don't work at the same location or hear from the message of the CEO around what that brand is doing um, and the vision behind that organization. And so I think it's funny because pre-COVID, a lot of the utility that brands wanted from platforms like Nudge was to deliver um, business critical information to influence a behavior to drive a lift in sales. And now we've seen a much greater surgence of content that's designed to actually culturally inspire the workforce and connect each other. And so it's interesting to me because that's a much softer approach but I think that that kind of brings to life this whole like humanization of the relationship between brand and their people. And again, coming back to the feedback loop, it's organizations that are like listening to their people and understanding what's important to them and taking care of them in the way that they best know how to. And so there's quite a lot to it, but there's really a, a fascinating human dynamic, I think, that's surfacing between brands and their people. It'll be quite interesting here because I did uh, a little group 
some time ago or before Christmas where we talked about, you know, the, the three drivers in Daniel Pink's book, Drive, the autonomy, mastery and purpose. So it's really key to drive, you know, performance. And people have t- that book, I can't even remember, it's from 2012, I think, when he put that out. And uh, it was interesting that lots of people really struggle with all of them. But what they really struggled with was actually how do we actually give people autonomy and how do we actually give them mastery? Because purpose, in a way, it was about actually explaining why we're here and, you know, what are we doing besides, you know, just being a company? How do we give more than we take? These, you know, autonomy and mastery, really, they really struggle with. Um, have you seen similar thing in the data as well, like executive really struggling with how do we actually activate that? Because they know they need to give them autonomy and they, need, and they know they need to get them training. But how do we do it so it's exciting and engaging with the front line? Yeah, it's a great question. So a big, um, the philosophy that we've applied um, is another behavioral economics philosophy um, by BJ Fogg, which is behavior equals motivation, ability, and trigger. And so the way in which we approach influencing the behavior generally is around, you need to provide them the motivation, which is the why. This is our brand, who we are, what we're trying to achieve. We then need to provide them the ability, which is either the information or the tool set to be able to execute on something. And then you need to provide them the trigger to motivate them or incentivize them to actually complete a specific action. And so um, it's a daunting job if you, were th- if, if you were to think that you're a CEO of a food service organization with a thousand locations and you need to drive a consistent behavior change in two weeks from now across 10,000 people. Like that's huge. And so kind of the philosophy that we've applied around this, you need to motivate, provide them the ability and then trigger behavior. For us, really is all about driving kind of what we internally define as like discretionary effort. So if you find a way to inspire people to go above and beyond on their own, on their own volition, they will, they will achieve better results. And so I think part of it is like to drive like the mastery and the ability to execute Part of it is the tool set you give people to make it easier to get work done in a more convenient way, in a more enjoyable way. Part of it is by transforming the way you communicate and train with your workforce. I think a lot of organizations still very much so struggle with how they communicate and train, which is what the Deathless report highlighted. Um, And so I think those are two kind of like common um, areas of improvement that brands can focus on. Yeah, and and it's interesting with uh, BJ Fogg, he also talks about make it easy for people to change behavior, like almost like the swipe of Amazon, you know, when you order, like the one swipe, click, boom. Yeah, that's in, in anyone's life right now. It's how do we how do we take one click away? Unfortunately, we live in a life where like that's how we talk now. It's how do we take one click away? But um, the more you're able to remove barriers to a behavior being executed on, the more likely someone is to do it. If you can empower them to do something versus audit, it's a very different way at running your business. Because auditing is simply, have they has the team done what we've asked them to do? Versus how do I empower them to feel engaged, to want to do the things we want them to do? And it's just a, a bit of a different leadership style, I believe. I, I totally agree. Uh, and I, I guess also what you're saying here is that leaders know they need to do change. They know they need to transform the way they do work and how they engage with the front line but what is that uh, you know we, we touched on a couple of things but 
you talk with a lot of probably very senior leaders running multi-locations, big organization with lots of frontline employees. What, what is their, like, what keeps them up at night when uh, you talk with them? Two biggest ones and one we've already touched on. The first is the labor market. Second is supply chain. In the food service industry and hospitality, those are without a doubt the two biggest kind of issues. And I think those are obviously drivers of the experience that you can deliver to your customer and guests to drive lifetime value with them. Uh, labor, we've touched on a fair amount. It's like, how do you attract, grow and retain your associates and remain competitive in the labor market that we live in now? The second theme I would say uh, before I get to supply chain is unburdening the workforce. So how do you support the field to get work done easier? Because even to one of the conversations you and I have shared, like the world is a little tired right now. Like we need to lead with empathy. We need to recognize that everyone in all walks of life have had to manage a fair amount. And so I think there's a big focus on how do you unburden and relieve the workforce get them to do less and simplify the way work gets done. Um, and then lastly is supply chain. So across the board in every industry, like getting the goods to prepare the supplies or having the right cups in your restaurant to be able to execute on that promotion is a big challenge. Um, and I think a lot of the work that we are doing and hearing in the industry is how do you make your people be part of the solution to supply chain, meaning rather than simply educating the front line that we have not received the supply around this menu item, how do you empower them to be creative with how they're going to manage that problem? Um, and so those are, I'd say, the labor market in terms of attracting and retaining, retaining in terms of how do you unburden the workforce to take less work off uh, their shoulders, and then how do we kind of manage this supply chain world that we live through while also still managing these expectations of customers and guests, which have never been more extreme. And so that's like the icing on the cake. Um, so the last comment I'd put there is just like, we as consumers need to show more empathy towards people on the front line because everyone is doing their best. And it's so interesting you touch on that because there's no doubt during the pandemic, there was a lot of compassion, you know, for all frontline employees. And then it feels like we have uh, gone out of, let's, I'm not trying to predict, knock on wood, that we, we're walking out of the pandemic. And actually, I've, I've observed a couple of people when I've been out, I'm thinking, there's no patient. There's actually less patient I've ever seen with your service or your experience or something missing and something missing might not be the restaurant that did that on purpose. They put in the order at the right time. It's just the supply chain. And we, I think we need to, we're going to live in a, in a lifetime right now where there's going to be a little less in the supermarket and a little less in the restaurants because uh, it's not possible because of the, the turmoil in the world in general. So I think that was a really, really good point. Um, what about yourself? You run a business and you've been, you've grown that business because it's been, you know, two years now in, in absolutely complexity and chaos as well. And your clients have needed you more than ever. How, how have your learnings been or what is your most important learning in the last couple of years as a founder and CEO of a business? Great question. Um, I think the last two years for me gave me an opportunity to kind of redesign the way that I wanted to spend my time. Um, and what I mean by that statement is 
work-life balance is a, a statement that we all know. Burnout is a statement that we're all aware of. Um, and it can be very easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, especially over the last two years where the distinction between work and personal time is pretty blurred because we can be sitting behind a computer at any given moment. Um, and what I mean by the statement of like redesigning my life is gave me an opportunity to just like prioritize where I wanted to spend my time. Um, Pre-COVID, a lot of what I would do would be on planes and hotels and boardrooms and site visits, um, and that can get quite exhausting. And so I know this is like um, a cliche, like simplified response, but I think you need to make the time for the things that are important and you need to make time to... um, acknowledge with yourself the things that are important and I think bring more intention to the way you spend your time. So that's like one of my, uh, my diary entries. Um, I'd say the other thing is just surround yourself with incredible people, whether that's personally or professionally. Um, life is short, life is delicate. And I think you want to constantly grow and learn. And you want to do that from people that like inspire you that you can learn from that can like constructively help you grow. And so I think, Um, I think those are the two things, especially building a company is difficult, doing it with great people that are willing to go to the moon and back and solve really difficult challenges makes it all more bearable and more exciting. And you said like, you know, you said something really interesting. I'm going to hold you a bit on to, you said building a company is very difficult. Like what has been, you know, one of, you know, want to say like one of the most painful moments, because that's where you really learn as a founder, you really learn when it's difficult. That's my own experience. Not when you have success, that's uh, you'll quickly forget that. But those, you know, key learnings when the pain is biggest. I think it's probably when, when it comes to people, leading, growing, inspiring, managing, being managed, people dynamics is very difficult. And as much as like we at Nudge are designed to like help brands better engage and inspire thousands and tens of thousands of employees, doing that internally with a shop that's just less than a hundred um, is equally as difficult. And so I'd say some of like the, my biggest learning moments throughout the journey of building nudge can say having the difficult conversations to drive constructive growth. I think a lot of people, myself included, sometimes stay away from difficult conversations, constructive criticism in a way that's going to improve a relationship, improve an outcome. And so, yeah, I think it's the people management side. It's also like, that's, when, when people are like incredible performers that believe in your brand, that are inspired by what you do, they will always go above and beyond. And I've always believed that our biggest competitor differentiator is the people behind the business. And so I would say like, that's an everyday learning and that's never going to stall. Yeah, that's a super interesting take on that. I, I agree in every kind of way. You can never, you're never done with the people dynamics. That's an ongoing learning because you meet new people all the time. And as you grow, you bring so many different people in so how do you keep yourself sharp how do you grow and develop jordan when you as a company owner what is like your your recipe it's a great question so i think a few different ways i think we have a a process internally where we try very much to like job shadow other areas in the business to build empathy with different roles in the organization and different challenges people are trying to solve and i find that to be a really exciting way to learn different problems that I either have or do not have the skill set to solve and also build empathy with like what other people in this business are trying to sort through. Um, 
And then again, after that, coming back to my earlier comment, just like find the right balance, like make sure you prioritize yourself alongside all the work that we need to do. We had that conversation earlier on today where we need to find the right way to like strike the balance to make sure that we're driving the right, like mental balance and well-being. Um, Cause there's always going to be more problems to solve and there's only so much time to do it. So you need to find the right way to make sure you approach things with the right mindset. Yeah, coming back to the balance as well. Do you have like, do you have a way of structuring yourself to make sure you because you you have huge impact? You said you have like almost a hundred people you're managing, and you have all your clients as well. And you know, people expect you to show up pro or would make huge impact. How do you make sure you do that? How do you keep the balance there? Because I know the the, the ongoing conflict in the job like you have, it's it's insane. For me, it's like finding the right balance. Like I, I personally, I need to make sure that I continue to be active. If I'm not like being active in my life outside of sitting at a desk, like I'm a lot sharper when I'm like living a healthy lifestyle. Um, and sometimes you got to put on the face. So sometimes things aren't going great and you have to show up for your team. And so you need to find the right way um, to do that. And I think it's also important to, I'd say also be, I don't know. We're all human. We're not always going to have the right answers. We're not always going to be able to lead with strength every single moment of the day. And I think it's okay to expose some of that at times. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. So like some vulnerability and as well saying, you know, right now I can't, I know I can't deal with it, but I will come back to you in principle. What advice would you give like leaders out there running their businesses? And especially I'm thinking about leaders here to run to the frontline employees, because you know a lot about what they are that people think about right now? Continue to do what we've been doing over the last two years. I think that we have seen a tremendous pace of innovation in the industries that support frontline employees. I think organizations have had to roll out new programs at a faster pace than they ever have before. And so the appetite for innovation and for taking on risk is greater than it ever has been before. As a result, we've seen innovation um, accelerate across the employee experience, the customer experience, nearly every facet of the business. And so I think um, I find that really encouraging because I think we had industries that historically were very set with the way that they run their business, the way that they make decisions. And so I think it's continuing to push the envelope, continuing to learn from your people, learn from your customers, um, bring the right operational agility, as you mentioned earlier on, to experiment with different programs and initiatives that are ultimately designed to deliver a better guest or customer experience. Um, and then obviously selfishly from our perspective, like find ways to balance the care you put towards your customer with the care that you put towards your employee and marry up investments in a way that empower your associates to meet the expectations of customers because they've never been greater than they are to yet today. Great, great. That's some really good advice there, Jordan. I really like the one as well. That you, I think you mentioned a couple of times, we have to remember like the expectation of customers are increasing. So therefore, so we need to invest heavily in our employees to create that experience because we're probably a bit unbalanced if we look at it as a seesaw kind of thing on the, the kids' playground. If there was one question you wished I've asked you, what would that question be and what would you answer? I would ask... I might turn it around to say like, you have a fortunate opportunity where you spend a lot of time um, meeting with different thought leaders with operating experience. Like what's kind of, what's kind of the biggest thing that you're hearing right now when it comes to how 
operators are like, what are like some of the biggest, aside of what we talked about from labor and supply chain, what's kind of the biggest thing right now that you're hearing that interests you in terms of what this industry needs to do? I think it's a, it's no surprise there. It's not like I'm going to come with, wow, I hadn't thought about that. It's the, uh, the staffing crisis. It's really, if uh, we did, uh, we have a small group of executive leaders we, we we were trying to do a program from instead of just throwing a program out there we asked them you know uh what what is your biggest pain in your business right now and it was consistently what they came back it was a very easy survey came back with the staffing crisis what would it mean if we took that away from you i would be able to sleep at night again was like the measured across you know if you take combined and it was about half of them they answered this and i'm not saying that's a representative and uh but it was really interesting uh that actually i had a bit cynical i didn't think that was on the the top of their mind i thought it was how to generate generate growth so i'm really happy in a way that's actually where we the 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 uh, the answer and I, what I'm seeing is that um, there's a really an interesting to fix this, but I think also there's a lot of people now that are starting to understand it's not a quick fix, and there's a lot of cultural work that needs to be done. And uh, another piece of work we did, which um, was called the Agile Hospitality Report, uh, we looked at. Uh, trying to understand what they're doing right now, especially around people and technology. And one of the things that came out of this report was like 71% didn't have a people strategy. And we did this report just about uh, eight months ago. Um, so that's quite crazy when one of your biggest challenges is people, uh, in my view. And that's a really disconnect between that you have a big problem, you want to solve it. And I know we interviewed, you know, maybe about 100 different executive again. It's not a, a, a representative, but they were globally. And it, it takes a lot to be honest about that, that 71% are actually honest about it. they don't have a distinctive, clear people strategy. So I think there's a lot of organization that's trying to figure this out. And I can also see, you know, the best of the desk is actually piling resources on their people department as the pandemic went on so some of the brands that's doing the best i see right now in europe have really spent time on you know people systems technology but also training a lot of training and understanding they have to all learn to operate in a different way and actually also involve their people in that training some of the people we work with right now have actually you know created an internal podcast channel that goes live where it's the people's channel it's not the the senior executive channel. It's the people that's guest on this channel, uh, interviewed by some people within the business, and they talk about values and so on. So that whole engagement from bottom up, the really good one, really understand how you do that. And training is just one example. So that was a long answer to your question, but it was a really good question. Um, so I don't have the silver bullet because you have to build culture and you need to find your unique own way. And that's not like, any kind of template for that. It's actually starting and doing the hard work um, and get inspired by other great companies do. Yeah, and have patience along the way too. Building a people strategy that works is not um, something that's going to produce P&L impact overnight. So it's having like the patience and I'd say the discipline to see it through as well. Yeah, and I think what you say there with people strategy, the last thing I want to say on that is that it's really, really important that you measure it and not for the sake of 
return of investment for the business in the end, but actually finding out and experiment what's worked. You know, even when I was at McDonald's, we experiment in small clustered with things before we rolled it out to all the restaurants because we wanted to know it works. Does it actually move the needle that we want to see? And how does it perceive by the people going to using the tools? Because why roll out a tool that nobody's going to use? It's been a waste of everybody's time. So I think it's that kind of mindset again, bring that into HR instead of, you know, now we're going to make this tool and we're just going to scale it through the organization and it's going to change everything. And it's again, going away from, you know, that all the knowledge is centered in the top of the organization, but actually again, involve the, the people in the front line from the beginning. So, yeah. So yeah, very good question, Jordan. We, we got a lot of juice out of that one. So it's nice to get a question on my own podcast for once. Um, where, where can people find you, Jordan and uh, Notch, if they want to know more and they want to see the deskless uh, report and all the other great resources you have on your website? Yeah, sure. So the website is uh, nudge.co, so .co. Um, and all of our material there, the deskless report, a bunch of our proprietary research all lives on that website and would be more than happy to connect directly at any given moment. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, and yeah, our, our job here is to learn as much as we can to build a platform that changes the way that brands support their people. And so it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Great. Thank you so much, Jordan, for, for coming on. I'm sending a power and energy to you and your team and all your customers and sending you all the best. Jordan, what a killer conversation about how you can blend tech and people to boost organizational performance. I would recommend you now to ask yourself, how can I use tech to build better culture? To get further inspiration on how to use tech to boost workforce performance, tune in to episode number 111 with Rob Lydiard, co-founder of Yapster on social leadership. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can now be done via our new website at hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly on advice at BizSimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlton, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter for more Maverick insights at hospitalitymavericks.com. Don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tingser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick!